Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Hello, this is the 14th episode of Audio Distancing, the broad science minisode series about communicating inclusive science in the time of COVID-19. We're your hosts, I'm Rakeeb Tesfaye. And I'm Elisa Favreau. So back to school season is upon us, and it's a little different this time around. Yeah, less less excitement than usual. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> it, that's been replaced with collective concern. Uh-huh. Uh, I usually love this time of year. I buy myself a new agenda. I get pens. The pens end up leaving me within a week somehow. <laughs> yeah, I get excited about this time of year too, even when I'm not in school. I love it. As it's back to school, we're going to focus the next few episodes on the challenges being faced at multiple levels of learning institutions. Both Rakeeb and I have been to graduate school. I'm still trapped. I mean, still here, (laughs) there. (laughs) So we know that it's difficult at the best of times. Graduate students are the backbone of academia and innovation in our world. Yeah, but they face so many barriers. We touched on a few of them in our audio documentary, Breaking the Silence, Graduate Student Mental Health. It's worth checking out. If you haven't already, we'll link it in our show notes. Mm-hmm. And COVID has only exacerbated these struggles. There's been so much confusion. Many grad students have had to stop, take a leave. We've heard horror stories of students being forced to continue research during this time that was not classified as essential work. For international students, there's the added worry of being stuck here for fear of not being able to return and those who have not been able to complete their research because they're not able to come back into the country at all. To capture the graduate student experience here in Canada, the Toronto Science Policy Network, a student-run science policy group at the University of Toronto, decided to launch a national survey. And what they found was really troubling. We spoke to Farah Quaser, who helped lead this survey. She recently finished her master's degree in genomics at U of T and is a co-founder and 2019-2020 president of the Toronto Science Policy Network. She's also a science communicator and advocate. So in March, if you you recall that month, uh, when the pandemic was very much a reality, Canada can no longer ignore, there was this period of confusion and inconsistencies across Canadian universities about whether campuses would be closed. Um, Oddly enough, we're still facing some of that confusion. But during that period in March, what were some of the conversations graduate students were having? What were you hearing from the community? So I, at the time, I was the president of the Toronto Science Policy Network, which is a student science policy group based at the University of Toronto. And we're all a set of graduate students or postdoctoral fellows. So at the time, like just within our own team, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of frustration. There was a lack of clarity. And there were so many different inconsistencies between different departments. And this was just at the University of Toronto. At that point in the pandemic, we were just listening. We were amplifying reliable information and trying to work out where the gaps were. We noticed that a lot of surveys were coming out about the impact of COVID-19 on undergraduate students and post-secondary students, and just a lot of talking about how we can support 
students in education, but what about the students who are pursuing graduate studies, the ones who are completing research, whose research depends on whether they're in the field or whether they're in the lab? And these were questions that we were all worrying about within the Toronto Science Policy Network as we were all either students in research programs or professional programs. There was a lot of brainstorming within our group about how we could move forward. And I remember there was one night at the end of March where I was talking with our vice president, Sivani Baskaran, and we were just talking about how frustrating it was that there was no clarity. And we were just like, is this only happening at our university? Is it also happening at others? How can we tell? And at that point, I just typed in Slack, it's like, what if we did a survey and we found out and collected this data? And both of us were just like, yes, we should do this. Let's definitely do this. At first, it was only going to be a survey for the University of Toronto, but then we quickly decided to expand it to beyond Canada. I think we underestimated how much time the survey would take or how much of a project it would become or how many people would be interested to respond to the survey in the first place. But it was definitely a very interesting experience. And, and something you touched on is, I think you know, when we hear about survey studies, for, for some reason, there is this misconception that it, that it is not as difficult um, to implement, to actually create, but uh, it is a social science. It, there is a, a lot of technicalities that go into uh, just the initial stages of it. So tell us about what were the factors that you were really trying to focus on and capture in your, in your survey? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I've always known that qualitative studies take a lot of work and a lot of engagement, but I didn't really understand how the how far that extent was until I did it. So it was a really interesting learning curve. In terms of our survey, when we first started off, we had wanted to keep it simple. We perhaps wanted to limit it to like 10, 15 questions. But as we talked within our group, as we consulted with additional student groups and unions, we realized that there are multiple aspects of graduate studies and it's much more, and if we're going to do a survey, we might as well be thorough and try to collect as much relevant information as we possibly could. One of the things about our survey was that it was designed for graduate students by graduate students. So we were able to highlight many of the different aspects that a regular survey designed by universities might not do. So in our survey, some of the main sections, we kind of grouped all of our questions in sections. So we were curious about the impact of COVID-19 on research, the impact of COVID-19 on finances, on health and wellness, on aspects such as teaching and courses and just as importantly about future prospects. So how were graduate students feeling that COVID-19 was going to impact their next steps? We did make sure to divide between research stream programs and professional stream programs because we know that students who have to pursue research and those who are more dependent on courses will have different experiences. And we did make sure to collect demographic information too because we wanted to see if there were if there was a difference in experiences, for example, between year of study, between uh, demographic indicators such as provinces or the university they're, they're attending and so on. You received uh, over 1,400 uh, responses from, from graduates across Canada. Did, did that surprise you? Uh, what was the general breakdown of who responded? 
Mm -hmm. So it was 14 sections, 130 questions. And I remember the day that we launched, it was April 22nd. And once it launched, I was just like, who's going to respond to 130 questions in the middle of a pandemic? So I had <laughs> very, very low expectations. But honestly, it was, it was so surprising that we got around 700 responses in the first week alone. And I think that speaks to the fact that there was no outlet for graduate students to express the concerns, the frustrations that they were feeling. And that's how willing students were to talk and share at that point. And yep, in total, we received 1,431 responses. So that included an English survey and a French survey. All right, so in terms of demographics, about 80% of the respondents were domestic students. And most of our respondents identified as white or female. So there were around 70% of respondents were female and around 64% were white. And around half of our respondents came from Ontario. We also had information on things such as whether people identified as indigenous or whether they identified as having a disability. We had 2% of people who identified as indigenous and 6% who identified as having a disability. In terms of programs, we had a good spread. We had students from the humanities, from the social sciences, the physical sciences and life sciences. And again, in terms of degrees, we did have more research stream doctoral students. So that was around 47%, but we did have a good spread across there. Um, in terms of comparing this to what the graduate student population looks like in Canada, we do know that most graduate students are based in Ontario and that they are, uh, there is a greater number of female graduate students but in terms of race-based data, it's actually really hard to work out whether our survey is representative of Canada's graduate student population because there simply isn't a lot of race-based data available and it's really hard to compare. So overall, our survey respondents were largely white, largely female, good spread across disciplines, and mostly from Ontario and Quebec. Can you walk us through uh, a few of the results from the survey that really stuck out to you? It was really interesting to me that there were trends that actually emerged from the survey. I wasn't sure I was I wasn't sure about how the results would turn out because perhaps COVID-19 wasn't impacting graduate students a lot. That was me being optimistic or maybe there were such scattered experiences that there wouldn't be a trend. But surprisingly or unsurprisingly, there were some clear trends that emerged. There were four that stuck out to me. The first was that around three quarters of graduate students reported that COVID-19 had impacted their ability to conduct research at all. And that's a really large number, that's 75%. So that makes me worry about that disruption to research, how that's gonna play out as they continue to complete their degree. In terms of health and wellness, we found that more graduate students were reporting experiencing anxiety, depression, feelings of helplessness, loneliness or being overwhelmed compared to before the pandemic. And in fact, 26% of respondents were now considering taking a long-term leave of absence. And two more that stuck out to me. So another one was international graduate students. This is a completely different demographic because they face a higher cost of living and a higher tuition fee in some cases. And around half of international students were worried that they wouldn't be able to complete their degree requirements before their study permit expired. And then 
if you just look at everything all together in terms of future prospects, we found that of the people who were planning to complete their graduate degree by August 2020, half of them were uncertain whether they would even be able to graduate as a result of what was happening with COVID-19. It's kind of all together. It's not one specific impact that's happening as a result of COVID-19, but instead of multiple impacts impacting research, health and wellness, graduation, and these are just challenges that are adding on and piling on top of each other and just, yeah, it's a really bleak situation that graduate students are facing. And this was the early pandemic. So this was between April to May. So things may have improved or things may have gotten worse. So it's hard to tell. Mm. And you and, and you touched on some of those geographical differences, the difference between what the concerns were for international students. And I was wondering if we can maybe talk about that a little bit more. Were, were there other concerns that international students had brought up in the, in the survey? Uh, were there differences perhaps uh, across uh, provinces that you might have noticed? Mm-hmm. So we didn't do comparison across provinces or things such as gender and race because it's hard to compare across a majority to minorities. But in terms of international students, we did notice that, um, what was it, 60%, yep, 60% of international graduate students had intended on going home, but they were unable to because of COVID-19 travel restrictions. So you're seeing social isolation for international graduate students who are already abroad. Another, what I, so in our survey, we also had open-ended responses. So people were welcome at the end of any section to share kind of their concerns or thoughts or perhaps something we didn't capture with a question. And what really struck me for the international graduate students was a lot of them reported that they felt left out of COVID-19 related assistance, whether that was from their institutions or the federal government, such as being ineligible for the Canadian Emergency Student Benefits, CESB. And a lot of them were concerned over finances. So they cited the high tuition fees they faced or the difficulty in finding jobs, especially due to study permit restrictions. And a lot of them you mentioned that they were far away from their loved ones and they were missing sources of support. So it was definitely this overall feeling that international students weren't getting the support that they really needed to thrive. And in some cases, they were worried that their institutions would increase tuition fees and just increase the impact of COVID-19 pandemic overall on them. Uh, there are always limitations to to collecting survey-based data. Um, so things like participation bias, if grad students are the most impacted by COVID-19, they might be the most likely to respond. But were there limitations that you faced or any gaps in data that you'd like to see filled in future surveys? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would definitely like to know if our survey was representative of the graduate student population in terms of demographics. So if anyone could run a very thorough race-based data collection, I would be very interested in knowing <laughs> what those numbers look like. I don't know who our, who our listeners are there, far, but, uh, you know, that, that would be great. You could just solve the that dream. issue for us, everyone. Cheers. <laughs> well, that tiny gap would be great. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, um, definitely in terms of limitations, this survey could have been prone to self-selection bias. Perhaps the people who were more impacted by COVID-19 felt more compelled to fill out our long survey. I'm all, but on the other side, I am worried that 
what about the people we didn't reach? What about the people without a stable Wi-Fi connection or people who just didn't have the time to fill out the survey? What if they're being impacted by COVID-19 more than the people who filled out our survey? So I'm curious about, are there experiences that are less impacted? Are there experiences that are being more impacted by COVID-19? So it's difficult to tell. I hope that there will be additional surveys perhaps carried out by institutions for their own graduate students to see whether our findings reflect others. I do want to shout out that there was a survey that came out of a group of uh, researchers at McMaster by Celeste Stewart and all, where they looked at the experiences of graduate students and postdoctoral fellows in terms of wet lab disruptions. And a lot of our findings do match up. So I'm hopeful that our findings are representative of the population, but keep in mind, these were the early impacts and things might change and things will change as we go back to school. And, you know, and, and so we have been talking and you've just mentioned uh, comparison data um, and other countries have actually conducted similar surveys mm-hmm. for trying to capture graduate student experiences during COVID-19, uh, notably the UK, Australia, the US. Um, mm-hmm. are, are you saying that your findings are, or your results are mirroring what other countries are finding or are there some response uh, responses or concerns that might be unique to Canada? Mm-hmm. I think the one that is most directly comparable was the survey that was carried out in Australia. So the findings came out in early July and the survey had looked at the impact of COVID-19 on PhD students at one university in Australia. Um, their survey was quite short, but it was, there were a few similarities. So they also got around a thousand responses in the first 24 hours, which again goes to show how, how really keen graduate students were to share their experiences. In terms of their responses, it was also a very bleak situation. So um, people, a fifth of people were afraid that, were concerned that they couldn't afford necessities. Some people were already homeless or they were expecting to lose housing. I think in terms of finances, the Australian studies showed a bigger impact on finances for Australian graduate students. While we didn't see that as severely in our study, there hasn't been a really thorough survey to my knowledge that covers all the different aspects like our survey did. Most of them chose to focus on only finances or only health and wellness or only research. That's good because you get to focus on a specific area, but I think there are multiple aspects to graduate studies and to really capture that full experience, you have to collect all those factors in one place. It does make surveys longer and it might risk the chance that you're going to lose people who might not have the time to fill it out. But I think it's hard to really understand what's happening unless you have all those factors and can really build a bigger full picture of what's going on. Looking toward the future, what are some of the key recommendations your team is making to address graduate students' concerns? Are some of them being implemented at various institutional levels? Mm -hmm. So we put forward nine recommendations in our report. Some of them were simple. Some of them were, well, I say simple, but they need to be recommended. They need to be recommended and implemented. So one of them was to establish clear and direct lines of communication because Communication is really going to be key as we head back into, as we are heading back into the labs 
and deal with any second waves that may or are happening. Uh, other recommendations that we put forward was to reduce the financial burden faced by graduate students. So in terms of having implementing tuition waivers or just reducing tuition when you remove incidental fees that students aren't going to be using this term. A really key one was to improve existing health and wellness systems. This isn't a new call. This has been something that graduate students, unions, and groups have been putting forward for years. But the COVID-19 pandemic has really shown that this is an issue and it's been severely exacerbated by the pandemic. And there is one thing that I want to flag that it can't be graduate students alone addressing these systemic barriers. We really do need help. And that's one of the reasons our final recommendation is that it really needs to be a collective effort to advocate for graduate students, whether that's to decision makers within your institutions or within various levels of government. And this advocacy can take multiple forms, whether that's writing an op-ed, writing an email to your department head, reaching out to your union to see how you can support them. And it's just that every little bit of advocacy is going to be really important. I do believe that graduate students can get through this pandemic, but in order to thrive, it really is going to take support from everyone to make this happen. Um, something that was interesting as well in the survey that you might not necessarily think about immediately or come to mind immediately um, is how to transition during COVID-19. So not just, you know, having your research halted, but how do you transition into to carrying out courses or to carrying out existing work? Because all these platforms are quite new uh, to academia. So transitioning uh, to, to Zoom, for instance, I think threw many people off or, or different kind of uh, online-based services. Um, and uh, something that was interesting to me was that 79% of TAs you had documented received no compensation for, mm-hmm. for the work and the time that they put in to transition So can you maybe talk about that transition phase and that adaption phase that we're currently in and what you hope to see? Mm -hmm. Agreed. So the 79% of TAs not receiving compensation. I mean, if I'm very cynical, I'm kind of surprised that there were some people who received compensation, but that is my cynicism showing. Is it cynicism? Or optimism. Who knows? <laughs> Realism. Realism, that's a better word. Um, in terms of that, yeah, it takes a lot of time and energy to adapt to the virtual format. And a lot of TAs expressed that they felt that the communication, what was it? Yeah, they felt that the departmental support and communication with their students was the one that they were they felt extremely unsatisfied by. They did feel that their course instructors, their supervisors were communicating, but departmental support in terms of whether they received support from on using virtual platforms or time and compensation, that was what was lacking. Keep in mind, this was the early pandemic, so perhaps things have changed as we're heading into the fall, but it won't be clear until courses begin and we start to see what the feedback is like. But yes, it's mo- it is especially concerning for graduate students who depend on teaching as a source of their funding package. So for this, for them, it's especially worrying about is COVID nineteen going to impact the number of teaching assistant positions that are on a, that are available? How is this going to affect 
their overall funding? Do they have to look for additional part-time work? So it's like, it's a double-edged sword. First, you have to adapt to what the current circumstances are. And if you don't have that teaching opportunity, how are you going to compensate for that reduction in funding? And here, departments can be, can be proactive and take steps. So whether that's offering pedagogical training to ensure that teaching assistants feel supported or whether that's restructuring funding packages so that graduate students do not have to complete a certain set of TA hours in order to receive their funding. So a lot of worries, but there are steps that departments can take to address this. And Farah, you mentioned that there were some students who opted to provide their, their qualitative experiences. Were, were there any that's, that were salient that stuck out to you, you remember? Oh, there were so many. I read every single one as they came in. Some were extremely heartbreaking. They were just concerned about how they could manage the costs that were incurring as a result of the pandemic because they had lost their part-time jobs. Um, one of the interesting set of responses that came out were from student parents. So student parents were highlighting how they now had to provide childcare, they had to provide education, they had to play with their children while carrying out full-time graduate duties, and in some cases also some part-time work. So for that, a lot of them flagged that it was really hard to be productive and to even make it to meetings because there was just so much on their plate and there weren't enough hours in a day to do it all. And here, it really, there was an opportunity for both the government and departments to help student parents, whether it's providing physically distant childcare or providing grants or subsidies that take into account that student parents are facing additional challenges compared to the average graduate students. There isn't a lot of data on student parents. Our survey only highlighted some of it and even then a very small proportion. So we really do need to consider different graduate students with different identities, whether that's a student parent, whether that's an international student in planning efforts. And the one response that stuck out to me was, and I'm paraphrasing here, that one of the students flagged that this was a really messy period of time and it was hard to kind of think ahead. And it kind of highlighted to me how we're living through a moment in history right now and history is messy. So there's gonna be a time in the future which I know it's hard to see right now, but people are gonna look back at this and think about how COVID-19 impacted all of Canada, including graduate students. Absolutely. And you know, your your point about parents is, is so well taken because we are seeing data coming out uh, that shows parents, particularly women, um, are disproportionately impacted when it comes to publishing during the times of COVID-19. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how additional data and additional capturing of our experiences in academia um, will complement what you and your team have, have provided. So thank you again so much, Farah. I do want to end this interview with, with asking you as, as a, a student, as a, as, a, as a student who's done graduate school, you've come out of it, fairly unscathed. Uh, you have also managed to have an incredible career in science communication as a science journalist. Uh, 
what is your advice for graduate students who are still working within the system during, during the pandemic um, and any advice that you would like to share with our listeners? I'm not sure about unscathed, but yes, I did make it through. In terms of the graduate students who are still in graduate school, who are nearing completion, the one thing that I would say is to prioritize you and your mental health. We are living through a pandemic. We are working from home. In some cases, we're heading into the lab and dealing with the risk of COVID-19 as we attempt to complete our research. And it's all, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of anxiety. And on top of it, we are seeing the effects of climate change in real time with wildfires. We're seeing all the protests around Black Lives Matter. And then even the blast that happened in Lebanon, it's just news on top of news. And I spent a lot of nights doom scrolling. So one of the things that I do want to highlight is prioritize you, take care of your mental health, Take that leave of absence if you need it. This is a hard time and it is fine. It is completely healthy to acknowledge that and reach out for help and support where you can, whether it's your family, your loved ones, or through your department's health and wellness system, which is hopefully not having a huge waiting list, but we'll see. Um, And if you have the time, effort, and capacity, I would recommend that graduate students start speaking up and advocating for themselves and for their fellow graduate students. It really is going to take our collective voices to highlight the impact that COVID-19 is having on graduate students. Having this data is great, but sharing it, speaking about it, being vocal about it is what's going to help bring about change. And it's going to take a lot of different voices to do that. You absolute champ. One thing that I want to flag is that this survey was not a one-person effort. There were 17 contributors on this project, and I'm talking about 17 students who are master's students, doctoral students, postdoctoral fellows, some who defended their degrees, some who are transitioning into work, some who went through qualifying exams. So I really want to flag, these were 17 people who were doing this on top of their full-time job or research and it really took a team effort to make this all happen we have spent hours working on this and i am just truly grateful that everyone took the time to really work on it and all of us just reading through the responses like we were really impacted by how covid19 is impacting students, and we really wanted to do we wanted to do this data justice we wanted to make sure that we did it right and that we shared it with the world so I just want to give a whole shout out to the Toronto Science Policy Network. A huge thank you to Farah for speaking with us today. If you'd like to know more about Farah, you can find her at this underscore is underscore Farah on Twitter or at farahquasar.com. If you'd like to read the report, which we highly suggest, we have dropped the link in our show notes along with the Toronto Science Policy Network's website where you can keep up to date with their ongoing events. We are also on Twitter at science underscore broads and on our website, broadscience.org. We're also anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you can, we would really appreciate a like, subscribe, maybe a review. This episode was edited and mixed by Ryan McFarlane in partnership with CKUT 90.3 FM forever and always. See you next week. And please, please wear your masks. And it does not count if your nose is hanging out. The flu shot.
that's another one. Please, oh, yeah. everyone, get your flu shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that said, mom's out. Bye. Bye. <laughs>